So we're in Leviticus today, and we're going to be in Leviticus for a little while. But we're going to read from Hebrews. I'm going to read. This isn't our focal passage, but I'm just going to introduce this this way, and then we will read our focal passages. This is from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Approach what or who? God. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, referring to Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. In verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, which is key, which is what we're looking at today, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, that's out of the book of the Hebrews, which is the Leviticus of the New Testament. And it's all a picture of Jesus and what he did as our offering. In fact, as our burnt offering. In fact, as our whole burnt offering, which is what we're going to be talking about today. As we look at the first, the ritual sacrifices as they occur in Leviticus. And specifically today, in chapter 1 of Leviticus Uh, Verses 2 through 17, the burnt offering, or also known as the Olah. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, then, and you have Hebrews 10 in mind, stand with me as we read Leviticus chapter 1, verses 2 through 17. Last week we picked up with verse 1, and when it said, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, and I stopped there, well, this is what he said. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. In his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, or if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And it will be accepted on his behalf. Notice this in verse 4. is fundamentally clear. To make atonement for him. And it's. If you look in the word atonement. You can see the at one mint. That may maybe help you understand. Better at one mint. He shall kill the bull before the Lord. And the priests. Aaron's sons shall bring the blood. And sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. That is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering. And cut it. Into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest, 
Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. In verse 9, he shall wash its entrails and its legs and water with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice. And now notice this, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And that's also pivotal and clear here. In his offering, or if his offering is of the flocks of the sheep and of the goats, so smaller animals, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces. And the same prescription is followed as it was before for the bullock. Okay. In verse 14. If the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds. That means we went from the biggest to sort of a middle size down to the smallest you can offer. Now we're into the birds. Then he shall bring his offering of the turtle doves or young pigeons, which makes you think back to Jesus and what was offered for him. Remember when his parents came back in to Jerusalem there. And it says, the priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out the side of the altar. And he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. And it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now verse 17 ends with, the uh, we looked at the birds, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse 13 ends with the smaller animals like sheep and goats, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then of course it ends with the sweet aroma to the Lord for the bullocks as well. So there's a lot going on here, right? And you're probably thinking, that's really bloody. That's a really bloody chapter. What in the world are you going to do with that? Well, you just hide and watch, okay? And we'll, we'll do this together. Let's pray. God, help us because we need that kind of help. We're not Jewish. We don't have a concept of what it was like to even understand this. And yet, God, I pray for myself that you would draw to mind everything I've read and studied, that your Holy Spirit would apply these scriptures to all of our hearts here and that we would see Jesus, our perfect burnt offering offered once for all, whole and complete. Let us be drawn near to Jesus now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's actually a fascinating study, this book of Leviticus. Uh, When you interpret Leviticus, when you approach the book of Leviticus, if you try to read Leviticus without doing any kind of preliminary work to understand it you will die in your yearly bible reading plan okay you will crash and burn you won't make it or if you do you will you will be to the point where you can't wait till it's over because it's so symbolical and typological that you don't know what to think so let's talk about interpreting leviticus real quick in interpreting leviticus and especially in seeking to apply it to the modern situation The historical context of the laws should be borne in mind. And Leviticus is a book of law. Okay. But God is a judicial God. And he hasn't changed. So we have to keep that in mind. They are not timeless universal precepts such as are found in the book of Proverbs. 
The laws of Leviticus were revealed to the covenant nation at a particular phase of their history. They had just come out of Exodus and something that you have to remember as they stand below Mount Sinai and they receive these commandments of God and they broke them immediately is that for 400 and some odd years they had lived in a complete pagan culture. They knew nothing of cleanliness, purity, They certainly knew nothing of how to please God because there was lots of gods in Egypt. You you cannot hang out at the dairy barn and not smell like the dairy. Okay? And that's exactly what God had to begin to recalibrate in their heart. So the book of Leviticus is the how to get us close to God again. How to approach a holy God. That's what it was for. It ended in verse 40 of Exodus with Moses standing on the outside of the tabernacle because he couldn't go into the inside of the tabernacle. And we're going to see a picture of all that in a minute because God's presence was so thick there that not even Moses could go in. How's Moses going to go in? Now we're dealing with sin. We're dealing with our impurity as unclean, very weak, sinful people. And then we begin in the book of Numbers with Moses being in. Exodus, he's out. Numbers, he's in. The book of Leviticus is how that happened. Okay? So, in the green, they were designed to mold Israel into a holy people in a particular historical environment. Though God's holiness is unchanging, its expression may vary from age to age. Okay? And how we approach God... Is going to change. Now. I can promise you this. If. If if this building were a tabernacle. And we were back in the desert. And God's Shekinah. Shekin glory. I, I, I got to just get this out. So. The, the word Shekinah. Is not in the biblical text. It's Shekin. Jewish mystics created. The word Shekinah. Shekinah means to dwell. Shekinah means to cause to dwell. No one caused God to do that. He did it on his own. The Shekinah glory then is what was in the tabernacle. If If this place were like that then, we wouldn't even be able to come near. And should we have tried to go on inside, we would have died with lightning bolts charring our bodies like it did Nadab and Abihu. But remember what we read in Hebrews 10. Christ fulfilled all that for us. And now we can draw near with a pure heart and a pure conscience boldly to the throne of grace because we have our covering. Jesus is our covering. And that Shekinah glory... Where do you think that resides now? We've got to catch up with the, with the miracle of redemption. So, uh, you don't have, this is from me, and you can't probably read that. But in biblical times, a king who entered into covenant relationship with a people would give them laws that helped them to know how to live as members of his kingdom. 
The Lord does the very same in Leviticus. He gives covenant laws to his covenant people so they can be faithful members of the covenant kingdom. Now, did you get that? You got covenant laws for a covenant people for a covenant kingdom. Well, we have. We have a covenant kingdom. And we are a covenant people. We are also a covenant too of law of sort, the law of Christ, which he himself filled. Okay? First, they let the Israelites know how to maintain covenant fellowship with the king. That's what Leviticus was for. And and this king is dwelling in their midst. Now remember, God didn't want to stay up on the high mountain separated. He wanted to be in the midst. That's what the purpose of the tabernacle was for. For example, Leviticus chapter 1 through 5, chapters 1 through 5, explains the types of sacrifices to present before him. And Leviticus, is, or Leviticus 12 through 15 teaches how to avoid defiling his holy place. So, we, so they had to come before him with a covering, with blood. Well, how do we come before the Father? With the blood of the Lamb that was slain. Okay, it's the same. It, it's different, but it's the same. It's the f- shadow substance. Second, they let the Israelites know how to reflect. First, it was how to maintain this covenant fellowship. Now, it's how to reflect the holiness of their covenant king. (laughs) Are we still not admonished to reflect the holiness of our covenant king? How are we doing? We're doing poorly. It's bad. And I want to say this, not to sound like a negative Nelly. But, yes, it really is as bad as it seems. How to reflect the Israelites. Second, they let the Israelites know how to reflect the holiness of their covenant king. So that they could fulfill their covenant mission. We have a covenant mission. Isn't it? Don't we? Is our job not to proclaim the praises of him who. Who, who saved us and loved us and called us with a holy calling? Are we not ambassadors for Christ? Are we not supposed to, uh, what is the word, manifest uh, his fragrance to all the world? Okay. There's great parallels here, as you can see so far. In both instances, the goal was relational. In how to maintain and how to reflect, it's relational. That's what Leviticus was for. Now, the structure of Leviticus, as I went over last week, it's written in a a chiastic fashion where you have a compare and contrast of two identical topics from a different point of view. For example, in chapters 1 through 7 that deal with the ritual sacrifices, which we're going to be covering for a little bit here, that is in the very last section, the ritual calendar, In chapters 23 through 27, also, there's another facet to it that you will see. And that's how each of these things go with the Day of Atonement being in the middle. Now, something I heard from Dr. Randall Smith. He said, holiness is distinctiveness from the world's pattern based on a biblical worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Okay. You either have a biblical one or you don't. And, and, and I would say that probably the lack of a biblical worldview would simply be a secular humanist worldview. Okay. 
uh, which is a pagan worldview. Uh, that's the worldview where there are no absolutes and that is statement is made with absolute certainty. But it actually is. It's nonsensical and, and, and it's a spiritual blindness because you can argue logic all day long but a deceived people void of the grace of God to fear Him cannot get that. Part of regeneration by the Holy Spirit is to illuminate you to the, to the degree that you understand who you are and who He is. And then you say, oh God, I am a wretch and a sinner. I see it. You don't need to be talked into it when God's showing. You don't need to be, read a book to find out. God's telling you, and it's always going to be driven by scriptural truth. So holiness then, the set-apartness, the distinction, is from the world's pattern is based on a biblical worldview. So the five sacrifices, the five ritual sacrifices... First, and this is what we're going to be looking at today, we're, going, we're doing the Ola. And it's the burnt offering. And this idea, as we're going to see in a minute, of the Ola, is first and foremost, all-consuming. It's the whole animal going up. Nothing is kept back. The whole thing. And that's a big deal when you live out in the desert and you have a, a, a bull or a sheep that you depend on for your livelihood and meets precious and you bring that to that altar and that whole animal goes up in smoke. Such is what the word holocaust means. Up in smoke. Okay. The minha, and that's how you say it. They're very flimmy in their voice. But it's the grain offering. And the Hebrew word for cereal offering is minha and serves as tribute to God, and we'll develop all that. I'm just letting you know what's coming. The Ziva Shelamim, this is all fun. The peace offering, the sacred offering of greeting. Okay. The Chahat is the sin offering, signifying the concept of purification. And then finally, the Asham is the trespass offering or that of reparation. So those are the five sacrifices that we're going to be capturing weekly as we come. You say, what in the world are you going to do about Christmas? I've got an idea, okay? So today we're going to be looking at the Ola. Well, you say, why do you have to say that? It's because you just think you're fancy because you've read a Hebrew word or something? No, it's because the word Ola, as we will soon find out, is way more descriptive of a word than just burnt offering. I can burn a steak. We burned some beans today. And it's way different than hola. And it doesn't mean hello in Spanish. Okay. Adam's always saying, hola. And I'm like, howdy or something. (laughs) Chapters 1 through 3 then. In these five ritual sacrifices or offerings. Now you have to understand that to offer these offerings was to sacrifice. Something must die or something must be burnt or consumed. You must give something. Okay? Okay. Well, when I come to Christ, 
I die to me in him. I give him my life. He gives me his life. It's called the exchanged life. There's a lot of parallels here. But chapters 1 through 3 of Leviticus outline the three principal types of sacrifices that were offered regularly by individual Israelites and their families, by kings and other leaders, and often by the entire community. Now, I want to tell you, where am I drawing from for this? I've got a, some of these thing, references come from a man named Barak A. Levine. He was the paramount Levitical authority, and he was completely Jewish. He was not a believer. Um, he wrote the JPS Torah commentary, and Leviticus was his main, his, his entire life was spent there. So he speaks as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a Ph.D., as a one who knows. Now, you won't find much about Jesus in his writings, but you will find a wealth of valuable information concerning the Hebrew language and the way they thought about it. And this was recommended by Ligonier Ministries, where I look for all my commentaries, Tim Challies and other things like that. So I'm not the only one using, you're using a Jewish commentary. Yeah. Uh, it's helpful. The other one's Jay Schuyler, totally Christian man, did his PhD in Leviticus. And then another one, uh, uh, I'll get to that one and I'll name him, uh, which is the chief one we use today in the church. So chapters one through three outline the three principal types of sacrifices. A chapter is devoted to each of them in Leviticus, the burnt offering, the olah, the grain offering, the minha, and the sacred gifts of greeting, the zivah, halashalamim. Chapters four and five because there's kind of a split, okay? The first three deal with those kind of offerings. The last two, these sacrifices are for restitution, were of more limited applications, offered for the purpose of securing God's forgiveness. So these first three, as we're going to see, come with, hey, God, and then I'm so thankful, God, and wow, Lord. And then the other two are like, oh, man, I've blown it. I need help. I need cleansed. I'm in trouble. Okay. Which happens a lot. Uh, These last two. Their presentation was obligatory. Pursuant to transgressions of religious law. Committed either by omission. Or or through inadvertent violations. In most cases. The sacrifices served to remove the the charge. Against the offenders. And to restore them to a proper relationship with God. And to fit membership in the religious community. So do you see what the purpose of them were? was to restore them to right relationship. As the first three were, were expressions of thankfulness and gratitude and, and all of those kinds of things. Makes me think of this. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, Paul writes, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And he calls this, which is your reasonable service. And then he says... Or, and in so doing, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's very clear that Paul is making an allusion to the Levitical offering, that whole burnt offering. Do you think God wants me to come in? Lord, I'm going to give you part of myself today. You can have my hands, but everything else I've got tied up. 
what a picture that looks like in my head right now. So you're like, my hands, but I don't know. Point is, God wants all of us, right? In fact, he says it's all or nothing. He doesn't share. For the Lord your God is a jealous God. Okay, so present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he calls this reasonable. Is that reasonable? Is it reasonable? Is it reasonable to approach a fallen world with the grace of Christ? Well, it's not reasonable to them, but it's certainly reasonable to the Lord. And that's what he's called us to do. Well, how are we supposed to do such a thing like that? Through the power of his spirit. Well, how are we supposed to stay in the power of his spirit? Well, now that's just the subject, isn't it? That's called your consecration. You could even say things like maintaining your consecration. For example, if you want to be an effective witness and you want to have discernment, and you want to understand your Bible when you read it, and you want to have you want to have a heart that exudes Christ, right? And that's what you want to be. You want to be a godly man, a godly woman. Well, you're going to have to exercise some godly disciplines. And, and you will grow in godliness. And the Scripture tells us to grow in godliness, right? Let me tell you how the quickest way to not have that happen is. Do everything you can to grieve the Spirit. Go ahead. You can't run a motor and choke. You ever try to do that? For those of you who run motors, you, you know. You can't run a motor to its potential in the choke mode, in the choke setting. It's starved of fuel, and it misses, and it, and it sputters. It's only until it's free. Whenever you choose to willfully disobey the Lord in your life as a Christian, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you choke that life-giving flow that He desires to give. That you got sin in the way. You see, you like to do it your way. You want to forget about Him until you need Him. You want to, you know, play with the world a little more and, and be a little lax and, and, and begin to loosen up and begin to read or look at things you shouldn't and, and begin to think things and entertain thoughts. And, and all of this is like little lacerations with a razor blade all over your body. You can die just as quickly from that over a period of time as you can being thrust through with a blade altogether. You're going to bleed out either way. One's just slower. How to maintain that consecration then. Robert Mounts says of this text in Romans chapter 12, the metaphor in the verse has as its setting the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Believers are exhorted to make a decisive dedication, right? Because as we're going to soon read in the text, you come of your own free will. You make a decisive dedication. It says uh, believers are exhorted to make a decisive dedication of themselves as worshipers stepping forward to place their offerings on the altar. Holiness of life rarely progresses apart from deliberate acts of the will. Did you hear that? Holiness of life rarely progresses apart from deliberate acts of the will. While sanctification is gradual in the sense that it continues throughout life, 
Each advance depends upon a decision of the will. You know, I let all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Well, he talks about persecution in relation to that, I believe. And all those who, who, desire to live, uh, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But you desire, do you desire that? Do you desire? First of all, let me go back and say, this has nothing to do with being um, in the sense that we're thinking, well, to be justified. These, these people are coming as God's chosen people. And they want to maintain their covenant relationship with God. They can stand outside the, the tent wall all day. I'm part of Israel. But do they go in? Do you go in? While sanctification is gradual. Well, it is. But there has to be a discipline in your life. That doesn't mean you're justified by, you're not sanctified by your efforts. But you are definitely demonstrating what God is doing in it. And that's lacking in the church today. That the sacrifice is living reflects the voluntary nature of the act. F.F. Bruce comments that the sacrifices of the new order do not consist in taking the lives of others like the ancient animal sacrifices, but in giving one's own. And first of all, let me just park here for a second. Let's look in Leviticus chapter 1. It says, Speak to the children of Israel in verse 2 and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. And I just said, if you can imagine how valuable these big animals and large animals were. Okay? And do you have many of them? So, I kept thinking, husband's out building fence, mashes his thumb with the the hammer, out flies expletives, he's got to go to the altar again. You just took a bull yesterday. Another one? Now she's got to take one. Because now they're fighting. See, pretty soon, you see where this can go? How expensive is it? Well, well, now we're down to sheep and goats. What about that family? All they got is birds left. They're a bad family. They've gone to the birds. So, you know. I'm just saying, but you have to look at this in a serious way and say, this, it cost them something. He goes on to say, If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it, notice this, of his own free will. You come because you want God. You want to be right. You come. And then notice what it says. At the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, you don't go around as we'll soon see. You've got to go through the offering. And it says it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. And this is what else he says. In verse 5, he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's sons. So there's an audience here. Many people, many times, people, I wish I had another hour. Anyway, people come... You're like, I don't. So, uh, we're afraid to come to the altar if someone's, if this preacher's preaching on whatever nefarious sin, I don't know. Because you definitely don't want to come on that day lest they confuse you with committing that particular sin. 
Because you'll be think you'll be trying to pray up here, but you'll be thinking, well, they think I'm here because I've embezzled from my boss. I can't go up that day. I don't want them to think that. These people, when they offered, they they went before there was a whole army of people here. Nothing was private. Do we forget the lesson of uh the old boy's name that put the stuff under his tent from the Battle of Ai. Achan, the sin of Achan. That if everybody knew when it all come out, you can't hide anything. And so it is in the family of God. This guy, notice in verse 5, or verse 4. He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And what that means is he leaned on it hard. And he identified with it. He leaned on it. He, he mashed his head down. This is a sign of uh, contrition, of conviction. Down. And then this guy, the guy that's offering it, he has to slit its throat. I always thought the priest did. No, he had to. He did it. He had to skin it. He had to cut it up. And he had to give it, he had to wash it. And he had to give it to the priest. You want to go try to make yourself saved by all that effort? You go for it. I'll take Jesus. Okay? They had to do that every time. And it from their own flocks and herds. Man, I'd be broke. What about you, Brian? You would Yes, we'd have birds. Oh. Something else to note. They could not use the wildlife. It was forbidden. That's in Deuteronomy. I believe in Deuteronomy or something. But uh, when David sinned. And the angel was at Aruna's threshing floor. Which by the way was where the temple mount was. Okay. David said. As he had the opportunity to get it for free. I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And I can guarantee you he's thinking about this. When you come to the Lord, you better be ready to offer what is what hurts. What hurts. He shall skin it. He shall cut it up. He shall part it. He shall wash it. He shall bring this male without without blemish and he shall kill it. How would you like to handle all your sin like that all the time? I'd stink so bad. I'd be so sticky. You could throw me against a plate glass window and I'd just hang there. Okay, how's Mickey? Well, he's a clot, you know. Here's the deal. It, can you, if you can see where the altar is, the bronze altar, or the altar is right there in the front, right, right when you pass through the gate, right? You don't get to the tabernacle any other way. You have to go through the altar. You have to. You don't come to Jesus any other way. To go. You don't come to God any other way but through Christ, rather. That's it. And I think it's interesting that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You don't go around it. You don't make your own. Jeroboam tried to do that with two golden calves, didn't he? And boy, that ruined that nation. And so uh, Tiglath Pilsner III ended up wiping them out. And Sennacherib, was it Sennacherib or something? There's lots of kings like there. How about this picture? That's what it would kind of look like. I mean, this is an artist's rendition, but I want you to imagine. 
You see that every day. You've, you want to be close to God. You've got to go through that altar, and that's what's, that's what's at stake. Does that seem intimidating? This wasn't casual. God was there. And if you're going to approach Him, what, is it, what do we read? He must be regarded as holy. Okay. Olah, then, means burnt offering. It is a functional translation of the Hebrew word olah, which actually derives from the verb Allah, and it means to go up, to ascend. That's what the word means. So we say burnt offering, what do we mean? Well, you just burn up an animal. But it's up. The whole purpose of it is it's to ascend. This type of sacrifice was to be consumed in its entirety, exclusive of the hide. It, wasn't, it didn't include the skin or the feathers. Okay. The offering may have been called Olah because its flames and smoke ascended to heaven. Other actions involved in presenting the Olah may be to help explain its name. And there was the ascent of the sacrifice onto the altar. Now, I've looked at all kinds of depictions of, as people have tried to draw and and make a rendition of these things. And, and in a lot of these, there are actual steps to the altar. And in fact, it's kind of interesting that we've talk, covered this before. The Hebrew, uh, the, or the, the, the priests, were supposed to wear linen underwear because they weren't supposed to sweat. They had, literally, they had linen breeches, okay? Because, as it says in, Ex, uh, in Ezekiel, as they go up the steps, they couldn't risk their nakedness being exposed. It says so in Leviticus as well, as we'll see in a little while later. But the point is, is that uh, when they ascend to this altar, everything's going up to lay it on there. Okay, I feel like I'm getting bogged down. I'm trying to help you out here. Frequently, the Olah was the first sacrifices or first sacrifice in rites that included other offerings as well, which supports this suggestion about its purpose. The sacrificial method is known as attraction. Now, think about that for a second. This is the first offering. This is not, in the sense, the sin offering for having need of forgiveness. It's the first, just to come before God, you're offering your best to Him. You're saying, I'm here. And the smoke goes up. Hola! Here I am. This is the best I've got. So, if you had a big cattle baron back in those days, and he had a... What's my favorite? Well, I like beef masters, but as far as looks go, I've always been a, a Hereford guy. Okay, sorry. I don't know. You know if that, but I'm, I'm like that. So, but what if you had this massive bull... It's just one beautiful bull. And you want to go before God. You're supposed to bring your best. You're like, oh. I'll just bring a bird. No one will know. Or I've I've got my wife's goat. (laughs) Here's the thing. God knows. And under this system, you won't do very well. It's a mockery. Well, let's speed that up for today. Do you bring your best to the Lord's? house now we've we we call this the lord's house it's really not it's just a church building we all assemble in but it's a sacred it's a sanctified area we've set apart for that purpose when you come and you assemble as god's people do you bring your best 
Do you pre- you've heard me mention, do you prepare to bring your best? Or do you just show up? Oh, I'm going to, hey, I'm passing by the altar. I think, oh, I just need, a, has anyone got anything? To, here's a bird. Hey, God. Hey, just thought I'd say hi. We don't do that. You want to know why we don't do that? I think probably the best way to help me is because of that picture. It's just a picture, but there's a description in Scripture that talks about that. There was a cloud by day and fire by night. And, and then, of course, in the tabernacle, it says the Shekan glory was there, and you could see it. I don't think I'm coming casually. So, In, the, in, these, in these biblical narratives where the Olah is prominent or where it is the only sacrifice employed, attraction emerges as its specific purpose. And then, of course, we get into issues such as when Elijah went on the mountain and he was defeating the 400 prophets of Baal. He who answers by fire is God. Well, God certainly answered by fire, didn't he? Balaam did that, if you recall. Seven times. He had, he, had uh, uh, he had the king, he was helping out there, light seven fires. And we'll see if God acknowledges any one of them, and then I'll tell you what to do. So it was a, there was a bit of an attraction in this ascent up. And as I just talked about that, the God who responds with fire, that is God. And Leviticus chapter 9, 24 says... After the installation of Aaron and his sons as priests, fire issued from the sanctuary and consumed the Olah and other offerings on the altar. And what this is referring to is simply that when they were consecrated, even though there was a fire already going, when they offered their Olah, their burnt offering, God consumed it himself. Fire went out from the tabernacle, in which case they think it's kind of like lightning and it just and it consumed it completely. So, let's finish with this. Leviticus chapter 1, 3. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish and offer it of his own free will. And we've covered that. At the, ta- at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going New Testament. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. Notice this. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know what that does? That appeases him, which is where you get the word atonement. It's all connected. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 and 19. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, now notice this, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The best. The very, very best. Lastly, almost, we got one more slide. The burnt offering was the most costly sacrifice. It had to be burned up completely on the altar. And unlike grain, purification, and reparation offerings, of which the priests ate, And unlike fellowship offerings of which the priest and the offerer ate, no one ate any of the burnt offering. It was all given to the Lord. And the only thing that I can say is if you could imagine a whole beef going up in smoke and you have a family to feed. Because God wants your best. Here's what Joseph Cease says 
to end this beautifully. Draw near then, O Christian, and see what thy Lord has done for thee. Thus did he come down from the great fields of heaven and bow his head to the sacrificial knife. Thus was his blood spilled, his flesh laid bare, and his whole nature torn, disjointed, and given to the burning flames of penal condemnation that the soul might live. Thus was he marred and mangled and consumed on Calvary to avert eternal death from thee. Look and let your heart be melted into grateful penitential joy. For as you believed and learned on his or as you believed and leaned on his mysterious immolation, your sins are canceled and remembered no more. Read there the cost of your salvation written in blood, and that the savory smoke which ascends to call thy pardon down is fed by the torn body of the dying Savior. Oh rejoice and be glad that heaven has thus thought on you. And expended so much on your good. And never let your heart turn again from him. Who has loved you. And given himself for you. You are brought. You are bought with blood. And let your humble gratitude never cease to ascend. For what the Lord and life has done for you. So I'm just going to ask this question before we leave. Are you bored with the burnt offering? Does it seem like a trivial thing when you play out what that meant? What it does every single day for you and me? You, you, we have nothing without Christ. And that burnt offering is a picture of God making a way for us. A new and better way. If you don't know Jesus, you will never know God. Ever. There's no other way around. You can't go around the altar. You can't go around Christ. You can't make your own way. You can't try harder. You bring you and all your mess. And you say, here it is. This is all I've got. And then guess what happens? He gives you his life. Amen.